Welcome everyone to the second of our series of webinars on uh, debunking sex work conversations around prostitution. Um, as usual, uh, my name is Esohe Agatise, the Executive Director of Asociatine Iroko Onlus. Uh, Iroko is a multinational um, nonprofit um, with headquarters in Turin, Italy, working in Italy and Nigeria. Uh, we work on sex trafficking issues and domestic violence issues. We carry out direct service provision to uh, victims and survivors, and we also carry out advocacy and research work. Um, we created the film Viaggio di Non Ritorno, which is widely distributed as a preventative measure. And uh, we want to also underline the fact that Iroko is an abolitionist organization, which advocates for the um, abolition of prostitution worldwide and the introduction of the abolitionist law in all countries of the world. As one of the very first um, organizations to introduce the idea of abolitionist principles in Italy, Iroko decided to carry out this series of uh, webinars to educate people more about abolitionism. For today, um, we decided to invite a very important guest uh, in our wish to ensure that young people are actively involved in abolitionist uh, principles and abolitionist uh, activism. We decided to invite a very important guest who will be the host of this evening's um, program and will present the speakers. So we want to give a warm welcome to Olesia Sagaidak, who is a radical feminist, a journalist, a women's human rights campaigner, a campaign volunteer, and a member of Radical Girls of the European Network on my, of Migrant Women. So welcome, Alessia. Now I'll hand over to you to introduce the speakers for this evening. Thank you. Thank you. Big thank you to you, SOA, for introducing me and also for giving me the floor to speak. I'm very pleased to be here today with you and also I'm very honored to have the opportunity to moderate this event. And now I'm going to introduce our two speakers for today, Maria Mecklinger and Anna Zogmina, who will talk about this week's topic, language, migration, and trafficking. Maria Mecklinger has been a national activist and advocate for the abolitionist model since 2012. She offers her testimony about the reality of the sex trade in Germany, where prostitution was completely legalized in 2002. She also works with several networks and groups in Germany and intentionally internationally to fight for the abolitionist model. Marie joined Space International, an international survivor organization, in 2013 and has since delivered her personal testimony in Westminster Palace in London and the United Nations Plaza in New York. She calls for the complete reversal of the German model of legalized prostitution, which she knows through her personal experience to be a devastating system of legitimized trauma for women and girls. She now fights to overturn the system and replace it with the abolitionist model in Germany and worldwide. And Anna Zobnina, born in St. Petersburg, Russia, has over 10 years of experience in the area of feminist analysis of violence and discrimination against migrant women. She is a former research analyst with Mediterranean Institute of Gender Studies, a selected expert with the, Euro with the European Institute for Gender Equality, and is a member of the Executive Committee 
of European Women's Lobby. He is currently the policy coordinator for the European Net Network of Migrant Women. I'll hand it over first to Marie to tell us a bit more about her background and experiences as a survivor and as an activist. Floor is yours, Marie. Thank you for having me and thank you for the introduction and um, for having this event. My background, I uh, entered prostitution um, at the age of 42. So I was a grown up woman and I made the decision out of financial desperation. At the moment I wanted to exit, I found out that there are no exit programs and that nobody thinks about the women in German prostitution in the system of German prostitution. It's just a job like any other. And if one cannot cope with it, it's her problem. But that's not the only problem. I was a grown up German woman, kind of privileged. I knew the system, I knew um, the legal system, but the women I met in the brothels and on the streets and in the hotels have been 90% women from the poorest states of Europe. Young girls, most of them, I'm pretty sure, younger than 18 years old and exploited to Germany and exploited by the state of Germany, by the traffickers, by the brothel owners. In Germany, they have to pay. Each day they have to pay taxes. Each day they have to pay rent for the room in the brothel. And each day they have to pay for the traffickers. So a lot of people are exploiting these women and they have no voice and they have a little chance to exit prostitution here in Germany because there is no, no way they can get access to the social system of Germany. If you're just paying taxes, you do not get access to the system of help in Germany. So if a woman in Germany wants to exit, she has to leave and she has to leave to, to her home country without any support. She's not allowed to stay here and she won't get any support from the state or from the social system. So all this is sheer and pure racism and exploitation of the poorest countries and the vulnerable people in these countries, the women. And I have seen this and it was hard for me to exit and to get get through the process of healing. And it was hard for me as well. I have a home as well. I have the full support of the system. And it made me very angry that there's no support system, not for me and not for the women of um, I've seen in the process, the young girls. So that made me angry. And so I'm an activist now to talk about this and to um, get the focus on the persons who are carrying um, are the basis in, in this system of legal prostitution because they do not have a voice and nobody cares about them. And the ones who ca call themselves sex workers are a very small population in, in this system, but they are doing, they are free and 
happy um, sex work on the back of hundreds of thousands of women in Germany exploited from the poorest countries of the European Union. So that's my background. Thank you, Marie. Um, now I'm going to give the floor to Anna to tell us more about her background as well. The floor is yours, Anna. Thank you, Alessia. Thank you, everyone who is present. Thank you to Iroko, um, who I have to mention is the member in our own network where I'm a coordinator uh, for organizing this event or series of events. Uh, at this very timely moment, I think, uh, both for Italy and for European Union and for Europe and globally, um, because uh, we know that the Nordic model or the abolitionist model or the equality model, as they call it, um, has been gaining some visibility and uh, success uh, in, um, in Europe at least, but also outside of Europe. And uh, consequently, uh, so was the mythology around it and the attacks on this model. So it's very important to be public and vocal and very clear uh, what abolitionism is and what it is not. For my personal background, well, there is not much to say. I'm a feminist. I'm from Russia. I, I'm a migrant woman. Um, I am very passionate about women's and girls' rights. Um, I think that every woman regardless of her ethnic origin or her migrant status, which means those women who may not have documents, undocumented women in Europe, uh, or women with um, employment permit, uh, permits in some um, high level occupations, you know, CEOs of some companies, the European women or not European women, young women or older women, all kinds of women have the right to live free from uh, male control, male sexual control, uh, have the right uh, to enjoy their sexuality, um, have the right to determine uh, with whom they have sex, uh, as well as family, for example. So it's a very basic uh, assumption of how fundamental human rights of women are. This is where I come from. There is nothing, you know, mysterious or controversial about, I just believe in, in the rights of women to, to determine their own choices, their decisions, and their sexuality and their sexual lives. And prostitution is, of course, about the intrusion, the fundamental intrusion in, in uh, our sexuality and our sexual boundaries as women. And uh, this is why it makes me so, uh, it, it's, it's, it's a personal issue for me because I feel that even though I am not a survivor of prostitution, luckily, um, but I feel the impact um, and the uh, harms of this industry every day. In my personal life, when I walk in the street as a woman, being objectified, being sexualized, um, and as a coordinator of an organization that deals with some of the most discriminated, some of the most excluded women in Europe. And what I mean by this is um, we are a network, a platform of organizations that mostly, like Iroko, are direct service providers. 
to migrant women. Uh, we're proudly led by migrant women. We are proudly abolitionist platform. So we do not recognize prostitution as a kind of employment or occupation. Um, and we advocate for the Nordic model. That means criminalization of the users of women in prostitution, as well as all third parties, pimps and other exploiters who multiply usually in this industry. Um, the, the, the rationale for our advocacy and for our position is really very, very simple. So it's, uh, um, you know, it, it, it's just based on reality. There is nothing else that we can refer to. Um, it's the reality of women in prostitution, a lot of whom are migrant women, a lot of whom are refugee women. And I have to make a point here that among those women, some of them would be those who come from outside of the European Union, and there are quite a lot of them, like the target group that uh, Iroko is working with, like, for example, women from Nigeria. But also, as um, uh, Marie uh, mentioned, um, the women from the poorest region of the European Union who are being, uh, you know, funneled into the sex industry of those states that normalize the purchase of sex by men, such as Germany. But Germany, of course, is not the only example. Um, so uh, based on this um, experience of our own membership, uh, who are, as I said, service providers, who are migrant women, who work on a daily basis with women who are victims of multiple forms of male violence. Uh, prostitution is just one of them. You know, we're also dealing with forced marriage, we're dealing with female genital mutilation, we're dealing with severe forms of material deprivation of women. Um, we're dealing with women who are exploited in domestic work while also being sexually exploited. So all of this intersecting multiple forms of male violence, and I emphasize it's not just some abstract violence, it is a form of male violence because it is um, um, perpetrated in overwhelming majority by men, individual men, and it is an outcome of the patriarchal system that we live in, all women. Um, so based on this experience, obviously, we cannot have other opinion or position or a type of advocacy uh, towards uh, what is the system of prostitution. Uh, we are very clear that the women who are trapped in prostitution, who end up in prostitution for various reasons, and, and, and you know, the, the pathways into prostitutions, um, they, they, they differ, but there is always, always one commonality in this. It's some element of coercion or grooming or, um, you know, psychological pressure or material pressure or threats. It depends on the degree imposed on women. Um, so based on all of this uh, and knowing how many women with migrant background, whether from European Union or from outside of European Union, are caught in prostitution, we're very clear that the way to stop this violence, the way to stop this exploitation, and the way to afford women rights, economic rights, the rights to dignified employment, uh, the rights to uh, uh, justice, protection, health services, is really to say no to the men who feel that they have the right 
to buy or access women sexually. So this is one premise of our advocacy. The other one is, of course, to build comprehensive support for women who are trapped in prostitution to exit, not to end up in prostitution, and to hold the state, so not only individual perpetrators, but the states as well and various state institutions accountable for supporting the women and holding perpetrators to account. A little bit went over my background, um, but it, it, it is the kind of, you know, what everything what forms my work, my advocacy, and also my personal opinion. It's absolutely fine that you were talking more than just about your background. It was amazing to hear from you, Anna. And now uh, we're going to start a conversation. And uh, the first question that I'm going to announce is, what are the links between migration and trafficking? Maria, the floor is yours if you want to answer, or Anna. What are the links between migration and trafficking? That often um, the wish to migrate seems, seems only to, to be fulfilled by a trafficker. You know, for example, if, if you're really, really living in a, in a rural remote place, with no access to education, no access to jobs, no access to any any structure. Um, the wish to, to get out of this misery can be so huge that traffickers jump in this and exploit exploit the the women for that. So and it makes the women vulnerable to migrate and refugees and migrant women are, are vulnerable because they do not know the system. They are, they are in, a, in a foreign country. So all this makes women very, very vulnerable for traffickers and an easy target. Thank you, Marie. Anna? Okay, so the links between migration and trafficking. Um, we we uh, recently took part in, uh, well, supporting the CEDAW committee uh, and providing the evidence on their general recommendation 38 that asks precisely this question. The recommendation is called um, trafficking in women and girls in the context of global migration. It's a very important document and I invite everyone to read it. Unfortunately, there is no official Italian translations, but um, you can read it at least in English. Uh, it's available on or, uh, the Office of High Commissioner uh, for Human Rights website. Uh, the reason I'm mentioning it is, is uh, because there is, it's, it's, it's a question that has uh, two sides. On the one hand, and this is what we said, very clearly in our contribution, that we must be very clear about allowing women possibility to migrate, to make their choices for migration without uh, assuming that everybody is a victim of smuggling, for example. Smuggling is different, of course, from trafficking, but I, I won't go into details, but there is sometimes this conflation. 
uh, and um, with with um, opening the legal routes for women to migrate with dignity without fear of being violated or kidnapped or raped or sold into prostitution um, as as well as being trapped in domestic work for example in, in basically in a slavery in domestic work and this is where the link with trafficking comes from so if we speak about the women who uh, want to leave the third countries outside of the European Union, those women that Mari was talking about, those women who would like to migrate and the only chance presented to them is basically to be trafficked. This is what we want to eliminate. And this link is absolutely real. I mean, the Izohe and the Iroko are the first one to, to tell us how much the women suffer who have a genuine desire. I mean, women <clears throat> women are trying to flee the most de desperate situations, the situations of poverty, the situation of male violence, women who do not wish to be forced married, or they do not wish their daughters to be forced married, and they're trying to send them away. Women who are trying to ex escape domestic violence, women who are trying to escape uh, being subjected to female genital mutilation, and, and very, very often, it is it is absolute and dire poverty that women are women are looking for better options in life. Then what happens is that either knowing that she's in this condition and that's her thinking, she's being approached by a trafficker, or the woman migrates and on the way to Europe, but it can be also other regions, for example, in Africa or other regions, you know, women who are coming from Africa into Middle East, um, th they are being intercepted by, by, by those traffickers on their way. Um, and sometimes it's, it, it's a very brutal violence where they are simply kidnapped. Uh, or another scenario, when they arrive to Europe with, uh, you know, they're still not victims of trafficking and they're being groomed into prostitution already when they arrive and as, as Marie mentioned, they don't have um, you know, knowledge of the legal system, they don't have knowledge of the local culture, language, so all of those conditions of vulnerability that makes them very easy prey for traffickers. So, so these are the very real uh, links that uh, exist between trafficking and migration. But um, at, a novel, at, a, at another level as well, uh, what we are dealing in the what we're dealing with um, in the European network of uh, migrant women is is um, um, you know the the discourse that we have on migration. This is a very interesting link which is uh, being created artificially, and I, I I want to really bring it up because this is one of the myths that has been created in, around the Nordic model. So some proponents of the idea of decriminalization of prostitution or legalization of prostitution, which is really the difference is not very significant. Um, they would say that we have to legalize prostitution or we have to decriminalize prostitution because it would help those women or those persons 
who have migrant background, who are trapped in prostitution, right? And they would say that by decriminalizing this system of prostitution, we somehow can support, for example, the undocumented women who are very often overrepresented in prostitution. And here, again, I'm emphasizing it, the link is false. Because legally speaking, and it's really everywhere, it's universal, it's, it's in every country in Europe, the laws that govern migration and integration and your legal status, asylum, for example, you know, if you apply for asylum and the grounds on which you will get the asylum, you become a refugee. So all of those laws that, 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 that govern and regularize uh, or limit migration, they ultimately have nothing to do with those laws that govern, that, that, that decriminalize prostitution. And this is important to remember because some people get very confused knowing that a lot of trafficked uh, women are uh, women from outside of Europe. It's very easy to fall into this misunderstanding that we must decriminalize everything, whereas our argument that we need to support migrant women and their dignified and legal uh, migration so that they don't become the victims of trafficking. And this does not mean that we need to decriminalize or legalize inherently harmful and exploitative system that, that preys on women's vulnerabilities. Um, and just to add what, what, one more thing, um, statistically, you know, if you ask about the links, this is, again, it's, it's just very clear. Statistically, through the reports or just go outside in Brussels and see who is there and those, you know, windows in the red light districts, who are those women? And we know that they're migrant women. A lot of them, so many of them are trafficked from Romania. And they are really trafficked. We're speaking about villages going missing, girls, very young girls groomed into prostitution. We have mothers who are searching for the weapon she pops up in some brothel somewhere in Europe. Um, with a lot of women from Eastern Europe who are being trafficked, and of course also many women from right now, for example, from Thailand, from Vietnam, and from um, um, East African uh, countries, as well as Latin America. So these are the real links. Thank you, Anna, for your answer. Um, okay, so the second question is, how do you think that language around these phenomena affect people's understanding of them? So prostitution and trafficking. Yes, the language, well, you know, I, I studied linguistics at some point in literature. So language is fundamental, um, you know, the first word that the uh, child learns, well, at, at least until very recently that was the case, I'm no longer sure, was the word mother, right? Uh, it's somebody, and it is the mother who explained to you the reality and the, the um, you know, the, the, you know, you point at the object, what is, she tells you what is this. Uh, so what I'm saying is that, of course, language shapes our thinking. 
it shapes our our mentality it shapes our understanding of uh, who we are as human beings and um, i am uh, a strong uh, advocate of uh, the the um, the the general let, let's say uh, um, uh, idea uh, that we have to be very 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 careful with the terms that we use uh, why uh, you know I, I personally do not write laws i don't i'm not a policy maker i'm not i'm not a member of parliament but we know very well that every single word in the legislation matters so much we are always fighting uh, for you know when we lobby the pol policymakers we we make it, it, it's important for us to say that um, you know this is the word that you use versus that word because we know that one single word in a legal document can have a fundamental difference on how we interpret our uh, rights and conditions and you know it, have, it can have profound legal implications so speaking about words like uh, prostitution versus sex work uh, you know, so much has been said about this. So much has been written about this. I, I, I really want to give credit to all the women who produced so much materials, including, of course, the survivors of prostitution who would not use the term sex work. But from our perspective, I bring it home to migrant women. Why wouldn't we use the term sex work? Uh, well, of course, if it is work, then why would we advocate, first of all, to uh, for, for women to exit it? Why would we advocate for support to the women who wish to have other work? Why would they want to have other work in the first place? Why would we have European Parliament's resolution of 2014 that says very clearly that we should not endorse any discourse, and this is language, terms, right, that normalizes prostitution as a form of, uh, as, as a way out of poverty for migrant women. There was a reasoning in this resolution. This is, I'm speaking about this, the Hannibal resolution because she was the one who initiated it. Uh, but this is an important reference for us because once we allow the state or the European Commission or any other institution to use the term sex work, that means we're already giving up on the rights of migrant and refugee women and girls to say that we do not want this because this is violence. We do not wish to engage in this work because this is not work. Uh, and very importantly for us, um, you know, part of our advocacy is about affording migrant women right to employment. And if this is a form of employment, then we should just all retire with our abolitionist advocacy. Why would we argue that they would need some other form of employment? As long as we define it, as prostitution, we have it rooted, grounded in the analysis that it is a form of male violence, that it is a system, um, an outcome of unequal relationship between women and men. It is ultimately manifestation of patriarchy. 
uh, if we're able to do this, then we're able to argue before the policymakers that women, migrant women, refugee women, should have an opportunity for real employment. I should not have to add this word real employment, but this is what we mean. It is the actual jobs for women who are qualified and very often segregated in the occupations uh, that are way below their qualifications. Uh, but you know, separating, making a very clear line between what is violence, and what is employment is extremely crucial for us because then it puts us in the position to advocate, to give women the rights, to enjoy their labor rights and access uh, you know, the sectors of employment that would make their life more dignified because of you know, sustainable income that they can get, which I want to make very clear is practically impossible to get through the job so-called job of prostitution, despite a lot of myths about it. Thank you, Anna. Marie? Prostitution is sex work. It's not sex and it's not work. As Anna said, uh, real work is a work I can live from and I do not have to give up myself for. In just to say in Germany, it's a job like any other. And the intention behind legalization of prostitution was to get the women into a regular working contract with social insurance and the access to the social system. After almost 20 years now, there are 44 people who are in, in the sex industry in Germany, which have an a regular employment. So that didn't work because the estimate of um, prostituted in Germany is around about 400,000 people. And it's not sex because prostitution by itself is all about the sexuality of men. It's not about the sex sexuality of women and not about the fulfillment of the sexuality of women. It's all about the fantasies and the ideas the men pay for, nothing else. So it's not work and it's not sex. It's just prostitution. And it's, it's very, very hard to talk about prostitution and trafficking and to separate this, but that's what's happening in Germany. So I think it's very important, as Anna said, to think about the laws because in Germany, there's a law for trafficking and there's a law which makes prostitution legal. So um, it's, it's very problematic because if it's legal, there's no reason to investigate and to get help for someone trafficked in this legal business. So it's very hard to, um, to get behind traffickers and to get as I, I, I say, and I think um, legal prostitution, the system of legal prostitution offers a huge underground in plain sight. So um, if there's not a woman who says, I'm trafficked, and if she's not doing a report and saying, I'm trafficked, the police is not allowed to go into the brothels. 
if there are huge rates in Germany, they are all about taxes, not pay taxes and things like that, but never about trafficking. That's just a side effect, an outcome side effect, but not the main thing how um, police can um, get into brothels. And mostly afterwards, a lot of women um, are doing their reports, but in the regular, in the regular um, daily work, they are not um, able to get out of the brothel. Often they do not know in which city they are. They are carried from one um, brothel to the other to offer new flesh for the uh, sex buyers. So, um, yeah, <laughs> now I lost it, I'm sorry, but um, yeah, it's very, very moving. But so you can see how important um, the words are and how important it is to talk about prostitution and trafficking and not separate it, because um, one goes with the other. If you're um, creating a market, as it happened in Germany, it's just a huge market if you see it from the economical aspect. With a, with a product you sell, which costs nothing, and is available almost um, forever and without any limits. So um, for sure, there are people who are exploiting the women in this system. So um, I think it's very important to, to talk about the language and not to um, make it smooth and easy and sex work and everything nice and smooth because it isn't. It's just prostitution. It's just the exploitation of women for the fantasies of men. And the only way to stop this is just ending the demand and get a change in, in, in the minds, not only about the wording prostitution and sex work, and about dignity and about um, violence. Thank you so much, Marie. Okay, uh, so let's continue. And uh, since we already started uh, our discourse about uh, the separation of two different terms, or maybe not so different, uh, and since we started to talk about trafficking, my question is, is it right to say that prostitution and trafficking are two separate things and should not be regarded as the same one? Uh, prostitution and trafficking, two separate things. Uh, yes, uh, they are, by law. Uh, well, first of all, you can be trafficked for the purposes of exploitation, you know, in a fish farm or in some kind of agricultural sector or in a hotel or in some other place, and we know this. Um, you may not necessarily end up in prostitution if you're a victim of trafficking. So legally speaking, there is a difference. And this is why we uh, advocate for a model that goes beyond the pure definition of trafficking, which is very difficult to satisfy as well, legally speaking. So trafficking, according to Palermo Protocol, or according to the European Union Directive on Trafficking, it requires very specific conditions. Trafficking does not need to be international. So you don't need to be trafficked from country A to country B 
with transit through country C, you can be trafficked within your own neighborhood. So this is important to remember when we speak about trafficking. But trafficking can be for different purposes and there are different elements uh, that are very important, but sometimes they're overlooked. So for example, there is a position of vulnerability and position of power. So somebody who recruits or curses a woman um, making her a victim of trafficking. There is the element of some kind of transportation and there is the element of purpose with the purpose of exploitation and there is exploitation on the other end. And again, this transportation does not need to happen internationally by crossing international borders. It can be domestic. Uh, and the, the attempts of those who want to see prostitution, sexual exploitation as, a, as an occupation for women, as something that women choose, as something women choose, even they would argue out of inevitability or lack of options. Um, but the general um, advocacy on behalf of those groups who try to normalize prostitution was to uh, argue that there is something called trafficking and this is bad and we have to criminalize it. And of course, it's already criminalized. Trafficking is a criminal offense. There is, there is no state that would say, yeah, trafficking is okay. It's like murder, you know? Uh, whereas the choice of a woman, so-called choice, and even, you know, sometimes it is a choice, but we have to ask choice made under which circumstances. And they forget about this question. So they would say trafficking is bad, prostitution is okay as long as women chose it and to promote the separation between the two phenomenon precisely in law there has been this you know legal legal attempt to completely separate the two system and germany and and mary will speak about it and already spoke about it is is the prime example where trafficking is criminalized. We know that it is criminalized. It is an offense for for um, you know the both both those who are traffic women or who exploit women if they're victims of trafficking. Uh, however, it perfectly somehow coincides with a legal system that says that it's okay to exploit sexually a woman that basically woman's sexuality means nothing. It costs nothing. Like what in Germany you can buy sex with a woman for one euro per, per, per what, I don't know, per minute or something like this. You know, the usual question that we ask from the perspective of prostitution or, or like the response that we would give when they say, well, prostitution and trafficking are two different things. Don't confuse them. If they're so different, then where do those women who are sexually exploited and who are victims of trafficking, where do they end up if not in the system of prostitution? So this market, the, 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 the place, the brothels, the private apartment, the massage parlors where women are exploited, it is the place where they are trafficked. So it's the final destination when we speak about sexual exploitation, right? 
um, and it's important. It's 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 important to think about, you know, how the laws are written and what. Going back to the question of language, because um, those states who benefit from prostitution benefit. You, you know, they they they. Um, uh, collect uh, taxes from uh, pimps, for example, um, where it is an industrialized system, such as Netherlands, such as Germany. You know, in a lot of actually European states, it's it's it, we have also similar uh, system in um, Switzerland, for, for for instance, where you also have this red light district um, windows. Uh, there is a concerted advocacy on behalf of the states who benefit from sexual exploitation of women to separate the issue of prostitution and trafficking for sexual exploitation. And this advocacy happens at a, at a high level. Um, obviously, there are big financial interests involved in this because this is a huge profit. Um, and uh, we 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 have to be very clear about the the links not to allow to separate prostitution from trafficking, in as much as sexual exploitation is concerned. This is my answer. Thank you, Anna. Uh, now the floor is yours, Marie. Thank you. Um, we have to talk about what human trafficking means. Because as Anna said, in Germany, a lot of people are participating um, from the women trafficked in Germany. It's the state who collects the taxes. It's the brothel owner who rents the rooms. It's the trafficker or the friend who travels the women from one brothel to, to the next. And to, to show how much um, trafficking is, is a, a mixed up issue. There's a huge uh, company in Germany producing chickens to cook chickens and nobody wants to work in this meat uh, um, plant and wants to cut the meat. So they are getting people from the poorest countries, Romania, Bulgaria to Germany. And in the process of investigating all this, the journalists found out that the person who gets the men and women to these plants to cut the meat are separating the more beautiful women directly and lure them into prostitution. So there's trafficking for um, uh, for um, work exploitation mixed up with trafficking for sexual exploitation. So that's, you know, just people used up in the German system. And to separate it makes it so difficult to, um, to just get, get something, get behind the traffickers. Um, you know, um, to, to separate all this makes it means that there must be someone to complain about something to get um, the law for trafficking fulfilled. If there's nobody complaining about it and saying I'm trafficked, nothing will happen. 
So um, who are the ones to find out if women are trafficked in Germany? The sex buyers, the brothel owners, there's, this separation makes it completely, completely um, unimpossible for police to do anything against trafficking. So you won't see high numbers of caught traffickers in Germany, and you won't find huge numbers of victims of trafficking because nobody finds the women and the women are not able to get out of the process or to, to ask for help if they are trafficked. So um, this is, is a tactic, as Anna described it, which works very well to um, make uh, the legal system of prostitution the biggest underground for sexual, sex trafficking ever, you can imagine. Okay. Um... Now, I want to ask you the question that we received uh, on our Facebook Live. And uh, I'll probably won't be saying the name because I don't know if this person confirmed me to, you know, say it loudly. So I'll just say that this is the question from the audience. Um, and I guess this question uh, is more directed to Marie. Uh, so the question is, why they, so I guess those are the pimpers and uh, those who regulate prostitution in Germany, I mean regulate of course, uh, why they fail, fail um, to have the full contracts in Germany, why only 44? Very easy. You have to know a little bit about the um, social and hire system in Germany. It means if you are hired in a regular contract, um, you have to pay one third of your income for so social insurance, means unemployment insurance, health insurance and retire retirement insurance. And you get paid um, holidays. Your employer has have to pay. That's... Um, regulated by law, it's minimum 20 days a year. And if you're ill, your employer has to pay for six weeks while you are ill. So why should someone hire a woman in prostitution? One, of, of, uh, one woman I know who worked in a brothel um, at the desk, she told me if we would hire the women that way, they would always be ill because of a cold of their fingernails. You know, because nobody wants to be in prostitution. So nobody hires them and pays a third of, of, of the income on top and paid, pays for illness. If they just can rent a room in a brothel for 150 euros a day, and if the woman's not working, she's not paying, but they do not have to pay for them. And which woman wants to be hired as a prostitute and wants to see that in her CV and wants to have this recorded officially because it goes to the health insurance, it goes everywhere, you know? So um, I think the, the, the biggest problem is just it costs a lot and the way um, they do it if, if the women are working independently is much cheaper for them. Can I also add here? Okay. I think, um, yes, this is what, what Marie said about women not wanting to have a record on, um, on their CV. This is 
it's actually quite interesting because the 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 advocates of the sex industry uh, one of their main arguments is that stigma is something that we need to combat the stigma that um, contributes to violence of the buyers and the stigma that we need to eradicate in society and only if we eradicate stigma it's going to solve all the problems which is of course complete nonsense because if this was the case then probably by now there would be no stigma whatsoever in germany or any country uh, that legalized prostitution or decriminalized prostitution and this is absolutely not the case it is not the case from the point of view of society <laughs> we know it working with migrant communities even those who lived for a long time in, in, in their new home countries. It is not the case from the women who are engaged in prostitution that nothing makes me think that, okay, because it's legalized, it's okay to have this record on my CV. No, women do not want. Most of the women keep it secret from their families, from their partners. Uh, it is absolutely crucial to keep it secret for women of, um, those who were trafficked women from, uh, you know, from the countries where they will be murdered for this. Uh, so the, the, uh, where, where stigma has been eliminated, the only part is the buyers who feel absolutely there is, they act with, with, without any limitations, you know, they are now entitled, their customers, nobody can check what they're doing. And the information is being kept secret. It's not like, you know, the man goes to a brothel and tomorrow a letter is sent to his family and majority of them are married or in relationship and with, with, with families. So the only part where elimination of stigma works is in the, in the interests of either pimps who become destigmatized or the actual buyers who feel who feel just very emboldened and in, entitled by this but the reason i'm bringing up stigma is because it's a, such a common argument in terms of uh, you know uh, why why there is violence against women in in prostitution is because of stigma and like the point that i'm trying to make that stigma is there stigma is there in the in those contexts where prostitution is legalized and um, women have no interests in being stigmatized and being ostracized and excluded from their communities and not getting a job when you have a record that you were in prostitution for the last 10 years. Um, and this is a very, very real reason why women do not want to be officially registered as, you know, the, the, the prostitute or the, the, the sex, I don't know how they go, sex worker in, in German terms. Let me add something to the stigma. The stigma will never be removed from prostituted women because who has the hugest interest to keep the stigma up? The traffickers, the pimps, the sex buyers, because they all have, have a kind of um, outcome from this. Because who believes a whore? Who, um, you know? And you're just a dirty whore. You really have to say it that way because that's the way um, the women are confronted every day. And so the stigma is kept up, especially by the sex buyers and by the pimps because it helps them to control the women. 
and to um, wash their own appearance as the ones who are clean, you know. Thank you so much. And uh, there is another question from uh, uh, the same person from Facebook. Uh, are there any helplines in Germany? Uh, and if there are some, do they work at all? There are helplines and they are working, but there are a lot of helplines, which um, just today I heard a documentary on, on the radio, a very new one um, about the helplines and one of them they are offering the basic um, counseling which helps women to enter prostitution so we have about around about 30 34 helplines and help groups in germany ngos but a lot of them are concentrated in the cities and they are working in the cities like frankfurt berlin and hamburg but we have around about 300 counties and we have complete states of Germany where you do not find anything, but there's prostitution as well. And the women cannot get any help. So it's, um, I think a desperate situation regarded the, um, the, the huge, the huge sex industry in Germany and uh, the, the amount of women trapped into prostitution in Germany. Not enough. Uh, there is another question from anonymous participant. Uh, and the question is, why are there no live operations against trafficking? Especially in Germany, what I can say is that you cannot just do a live operation in a brothel, which is nothing more than a hotel where they rent rooms to the women or rent rooms to the men. And um, you're not allowed just to get in there. If there's not one person saying, I'm trafficked, I'm in this brothel and I want to get out and I need help, there, there's no way for the police to do anything. The only raids that happened in Germany um, are, have, were, they were able to do that because they got behind the taxes, the not paid taxes. Or they said the women are working 10 hours a day, five days a week, so that's a regular employment. You have to pay the social insurance, things like that. But they are not able to get into a brothel just to find out if they are trafficked women. That's not possible because of the of the separation of trafficking and legal prostitution and the way it's organized in Germany with private houses. Um, you're not allowed to just go in there if you don't have a, a search warrant or something like that. Okay, then thank you. The next question that um, I'm going to ask is, um, do you think there are links between prostitution and the sexualization of women and girls in the media, and specifically the role of social networks in recent years? Maybe I can do this one. I mean, what to say? Of course, there are links. <laughs> Do I think there are links? Yes, there are links. There are very obvious links 
um, it's uh, very much related to the what we call the culture of pornography that has been on the increase, normalized, and uh, has made its way from some kind of underground uh, magazines that men used to buy in, in kiosks to full screen and uh, social media or, <clears throat> or uh, pop culture, singing, <laughs> as well as films. So it's the links are, of course, there. They, they form the minds of young women, of young men, um, and sexualization that we see that that would be considered as you know outrageous some years ago is now considered as a norm um the the uh, the, the question I, I i think is is um not so much whether there are links for me the links are are obvious just open the tiktok which i don't have an account but periodically i i i get some news of of some um images or some messages posted on tiktok and it's it's horrifying it's absolutely horrifying the way the level of normalization of sexual objectification specifically of young women because it's mostly young women on on in places like tiktok and where sexual uh, object objectification is normalized to this level when woman becomes a sexual object and nothing else then this is a green light for prostitution and for trafficking, um, of course. So, um, what 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 is more interesting for us, for example, as um, as a network to ask in this context, is um, um, I, I, I'll give you an example. We recently participated um, in a, in a briefing before some members of the. Uh, ethics committee of Canada who are right now holding hearings on the case of Pornhub and, and MindGeek, the company who owns uh, Pornhub. And we also um, contributed to, to a written submission uh, to this committee. Um, and and uh, we spoke about a real cases of women being trafficked uh, for the purposes of exploitation in the pornography industry. Or sometimes they may be simply recorded without their consent, so then they're not per se victims of trafficking, uh, but then their images end up on social media like this. And the question is, what are we going to do as a civil society, as feminists, as human rights advocates, about those media conglomerates that are uh, in the position of avoid any legal responsibility under the current legislation that we have, because this all of those um, digital spaces are very poorly regulated, and they get away with excuses that you know we're just a hosting platform. We do not hold responsibility. We can't be held accountable for this because we're just hosting the materials that we don't produce. So if somebody gets raped or murdered in those materials, it's not us. We didn't know. Um, so it's an absolutely massive question of um, regulation and control of digital space that is very, very important. And we are very concerned with it because we know just by the fact that we represent very, very vulnerable uh, group of women, migrant and refugee women, that 
they will be one of the first victims of those industries. That's it. Thank you, Anna. Um, do you have something to add, Marie? Yes. Um, I'm doing workshops with young people. And what I can see in these workshops is that um, the, the teenagers, the age between 14 and 20, that they make the link themselves if you talk with them about it. And what's really, really, really um, out, outraging for me is that the, the young people, they get a, a, a huge part of their sexual education out of pornography, online pornography. And they really think they have to perform sex like porn stars their first sex like porn stars and they have to accept um, practices they maybe would not accept, but they think it's normal and they have to um, perform it that way. And that's, that's very hard for, for girls and boys too. They are kind of traumatized by it, but they, they live it and they accept it. They do not think about it. And if you talk with them about it, um, they start to think about it and um, you can feel they are groomed for sexualization and they are groomed for, for prostitution as well by prostitution. And they are exposed to prostitution in, in very young ages because it's very easy to access. Even the, the forums of the, the sex buyers in Germany, every child can access them and can read everything there and see all the films there. So um, the link is very obvious and it's um, a, a part of the grooming, grooming girls into prostitution and glamorize it. Thank you. Um, there is a very um, interesting question in Q&A. Uh, so the question is, are, are violent crimes and femicides committed against women prostituted and exploited into being prostituted? investigated and re, um, released publicly to illustrate the degrees of violence inflicted against the women. If they, if they find out, if they know about it, then they investigate it. But there are crimes committed and almost every week you can read about it. Last week, I think it's two weeks ago, a woman in Germany uh, was fleeing her um, sex trafficker and was jumping out the window of her apartment just to, to get um, away from his violence. Um, these are the crimes which are happening and they get investigated. But a lot of the crimes are not investigated because um, they found out very late because if one if a woman disappears in Germany nobody um, will know it because the the women in Germany they go from one brothel to the other every four or six weeks so it's very normal if women disappear nobody will know if they are disappeared but almost every month they found find a, a, a woman and then in, in a river or in the woods. And afterwards they find out she was prostituted in Germany, but it's very hard to find out who she was. 
So I think there's a lot of, of what's happening with violence and uh, femicides in prostitution in Germany is in, in the dark, is in the underground. Nobody can see and nobody ever will know how huge um, the numbers are. Thank you, Marie. Um, we have five minutes left, so I'm going to ask you the last question uh, for this talk today. And uh, the question is for both of you, so I'm really um, anticipating hearing your answers. So the question is, what do you find to be the best way to debunk the widespread notion of prostitution as a sex work? I'm just thinking about doing um, a job job counseling for young women when they finish school and then they go to the job center and get a counseling about jobs. Oh, you have social skills. Oh, that's great. So maybe you can do um, a course on sex work. You will learn how to dissociate and really think about it and think about the situation that some women in Germany have to face they exited prostitution and the job center knows that they have been in prostitution. And every other month they have to um, talk to a lawyer cause they get money deducted from their, from their paycheck because are you sure working still in prostitution? So um, that's, yeah, who wants that? That women are forced to, to be prostituted by a system cause it's sex work, it's a job like any other. Anna? My turn. Um, what is the best way to debunk the, this, this myth? I don't know what is the best way, have to be honest, uh, but I think that it very much depends with whom you're engaging. So this mythology about sex work, on the one hand, it very much comes from the academic sphere. They love it. They love to write articles about how it is work and how it is a choice and how it is not harmful and how we have to eliminate stigma. I mean, you can make a whole academic career on this. And, and a few individuals indeed, they made academic career on this. Um, so uh, with those people, my, my, my response is very much like what Maria just said. Uh, I mean, first of all, I'm stunned by the level of their detachment from the reality of the overwhelming majority of women. It shows nothing but their absolute indifference and the privilege that they live to to uh, you know, go around promoting this myth that this is just a job like any other. Um, and uh, actually, as it turns out, some of those academics, when they're men, they're also sex buyers. So it's, uh, you know, nothing more than defends their own interests and their privileges to accessing women. Um, and to those people, when they're uh, women, and there are quite a few women, unfortunately, uh, you know, I, I have a very simple response to check the reality, you know, to go and engage with the reality of the women who are actually doing these so-called jobs in those 
uh, you know, parking lots in Germany and those so-called love mobiles, the little vans in which they're completely unprotected somewhere outside of the city where there are just pimps and sex buyers there and women get murdered there. Um, but for other women who may not be, you know, so invested in earning their academic career or making money or making the publications and peer-reviewed journals and all of this, there are young women. And for, 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 for those young women, uh, my, my response to this, that the, the best way is for them to engage in feminism, is for them to join the groups of women where there is actual feminist debates is happening, where women are asking uncomfortable questions about sexual violence that overwhelming majority of women have been subjected to in their personal relationship. And if you know as a woman what it means to be sexually disrespected or violated and where your sexual desires are not met or ignored, this is what prostitution is about. And if you uh, do not wish it on yourself, if you don't wish to be in a relationship where your sexual boundaries are not respected, then why on earth would you wish it on any other woman on this planet? But this awareness, in my experience, and also from experience of work with, with, with um, our own young women's group, it only comes with when you establish this safe space for women, when women can share those stories, when women can relate to each other, when they can speak about violence, when they can be honest. Um, so the bigger answer to this is not the immediately, you know, to, to debunk the sex work as such, but to build the capacity in women for critical analysis, for, you know, uh, higher level of feminist consciousness from which we relate to other women, not with just some women who are privileged women, but to all women. Uh, and we afford all women the same rights that we wish ourselves. So this is my kind of more broad answer. Thank you so much. It was amazing to hear from you both today. And now I'm going to pass the floor for SOA to close this meeting. Thank you. I want to um, give my most sincere thanks to Anna and Marie for this wonderful contribution that you've given to us. And I just wanted to mention something very quickly, which would have been one of the questions that where you see opinions around prostitution often seemingly based on human rights discourse, including the idea of sex as a right, you know, uh, that, oh, um, these people, men have the right to access women's bodies for prostitution, or the question of, oh, uh, women in prostitution, they should you know, sell their bodies as uh, an example of, of their right to, 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 to express their sexuality on, on all of those, those kinds of things. And when you talk about the harm of prostitution, you're told that, oh, you're being uh, too or religious, or you're being too stuffy, you're not modern enough, you're not woke enough, et cetera, et cetera. But we know from talking with women who've been there that this is violence, that there's no way that you can call the, the, the complete lack of human rights, the complete lack of the, the, the protection of women 
from an undignified uh, um, activity, because from all of the discussions, all of the demonstrations, all of the descriptions of the activities that we have, we see how much there is no dignity in this activity. So that is why it is so important for us to continue to speak about it, to let people know that it is not what it is being presented to be. It is those who have a lot to gain from it that would, uh, that would continue to promote it as something good. 